I'll tell you more about uh, because I did uh, for a while. My weirdest credit in comedy was being Robin Williams' musical director. Oh my God! Really? Two with him and three other guys who were had a band called Rick and Ruby, and they were wonderful. Wow! Um, but I was touring with Robin right at, right at the height of his popularity. So every night we would go out and he would he would be bombarded by these young women. And I once sold a, a vial with, with an ounce of his urine in it, $500. Holy shit. You know, it's a lot of money in those days. Dystopia Tonight. Yay! Hey, who is that kid behind you? <laughs> is that a, a child? Is that where? Right? I don't. I really hope you're kidding. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not. Behind you, to your right, is a small. What appears to be a small girl. Oh my God! That is that. Honest to God, you're that. That will. You don't even know me. That will freak me out. <laughs> yeah. I'm like trying to see. Is it a small girl? No, but I'm gonna I'm gonna use that to go into my my next <laughs> bit is about. Uh, do you know that it's easier to become a registered a registered child molester in this country than a registered Democrat? <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a that's a horrifying point uh, and a good one though. Yeah. My wife and I are both registered pedophiles and Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> Just to feel like you've accomplished something, right? Oh, yeah. Now I'm done. You guys go. <laughs> <laughs> what a great volley. Oh, that's so good. Dude, I'm so excited to have you on, man. I mean, I we I think we briefly talked about it backstage, but we were exchanging emails for a bit um, because we have a mutual friend in uh, two of the nicest people who ran a comedy club in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey, Harlan and Arlene, Bananas Comedy Club. I didn't know that you guys knew each other, or you knew Harlan yeah. since you were 12. Yeah, well, you, you know, Harlan, I, I don't know if you guys know that I'm, that I'm a former New York State table tennis champion. No, I, I had no idea. know that. 1964. Wow, that's incredible, man. Yeah, ask me what, what my style was. What was your style? Defensive. <laughs> <laughs> Harlan and I used to play table tennis together. We used to shoot pool across the street at Hessel's. Oh, wow. We played on 96th and Broadway at Marty Reisman's place. That's incredible. And that's how you guys met? Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Did either one of you have an interest in comedy back then? Well, I was was doing stand-up then. And and Harlan and I would go around looking for a place to him open up up his first club. Wow. And the first one was in Poughkeepsie, New York. Yep. Oh wow! And I introduced him to Tom Herrera, to uh, Ron Darian, to all, all the New York comics. Nice. And, and made a living at it for a while. Oh man! Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's um, he was one of the ones who gave me he him and Arlene allowed me to open 
for my first national headliner, and it was Jimmy Fallon before he took over for Conan. Not even Jay. It was he was taking over mm-hmm. the late. Yeah, and he was going back on tour, and I had been performing at Bananas for a while, going between Poughkeepsie and Hasbrook Heights, and they just called me and they were like, "Hey, we want to know if you want to open for Jimmy Fallon," and I was like, "Yes." Wow. <laughs> Didn't you live in the area for a while? He did. Yeah, yeah. That was his. That was his. Uh, I think Poughkeepsie was the was like his home club. Like that was the one his dad yeah. first drove him to, and and then Harlan Arlene let him have like five minutes in front of uh. Somebody, you want uh, one another Harlan story is like, cause I was so like, you know, not, I wouldn't say shy, but like, I just didn't know what the protocol was. So it was the end of that. We did five shows together. I met his family, like the whole thing was really nice, but everyone was getting photos with him and I was hanging back and Harlan was like, go get your picture taken with him. I was like, Oh no, no, I don't want to bug him. And he goes, let me tell you something about Jimmy. <laughs> he goes, he goes, he took pictures with, Lewis Black, I got pictures of him with, but he goes, he's not, he's going to be fine. He's like, just walk up there. And he, I would have never gotten it if it wasn't for Harlan. Yeah. The nice it reminds, guy. It reminds me of my, the first time I worked with Rita Rudner. Oh. We worked in the South together. Nice. And I was so thrilled that she asked for my opinion on the joke. It was like, it was like a, a, an enormous compliment. And, and then she asked the cab driver, <laughs> and then the club owner. <laughs> oh, that's great! She's she's actually coming on uh, in a couple weeks, Rita, for oh, the first really? time. Yeah, yeah, I had a great time working with her. Many places. When when you were what was what was your was she in your would you would you consider Rita my the class wife? before you? No, I think we were in the same class. You're in the same class. Okay, yeah, she's a better dancer than me. So who was your who were the people that you came up with? Well with Dom and I were he's my closest friend in comedy. Oh, um nice. and we started together uh I started in nineteen eighty one. Oh nice stand up. Uh, John Heyman. Oh wow. Uh, John Heyman is I think the funniest guy in America. He's hilarious. Wow. Absolutely. Is um, he still he's still he's still touring, isn't he? No, he he works on curb now. Oh, okay. Okay. But I I was well, I was new to the stand up scene. I know I'm not speaking an entire sentence as I brought me. I was, <laughs> I was new to the entire stand up. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. <laughs> You're being blessed by so many people now. <laughs> um what was I talking about? You're talking oh, about John Heyman. Oh, yeah. But when I first came to the improv in New York, the people that impressed me were John Heyman because he wore a sport jacket. And I thought that was very classy. Mm. And then um, who's this guy that was married to Carol Leifer before she. Oh. Carol Leifer wasn't. I might be totally wrong, but Rich Scheidner? No. Am I totally yes, wrong? That's okay. Yes. That's yes. it. No problem. And, and I was impressed by him because he actually would get paid. Bus fare to in Baltimore. <laughs> I can't ima- I couldn't imagine that getting that far in the business. Yeah. But what were the where did you guys have clear steps like back then though, where you were like, okay, you know, middle headliner, um, good enough to MC and and, and pass yeah. on a comedian yeah. like tonight show? Uh, yeah, but I think 
I think almost as funny as being, almost as important as being good on stage is being funny at the bar because uh, yes. we, we actually get to make friends. Absolutely. Um, but I was, I was like an opening act, but I worked a lot because I had a car. Uh. <laughs> and I booked a room in New Haven. So every week I, I would show up there with, um, with two other comedians. Mm. And Dom always said to me, John, why can't you be funny like when you're in the car funny? <laughs> it shouldn't stop when you get to the club. <laughs> Did you work at, at Catch a Rising Star also? I never got to do that. There's one Catch a Rising Star left, and it's in Princeton, New Jersey, but I've, I've never gotten to do it. It's funny. I worked the one in Princeton, but I also used used that was my main club in New York. Towards the mm. end of my New York stint, well, I, oh, I, wow. I moved out of New York in 1985 to Newton, Massachusetts, which is my home now. Oh, so you didn't do the Hollywood route? No, I've never lived in LA. Oh, I, wow! I, I, I lived for one year to make a TV show with Bob with Bob Saget called Raising Dad. I pretend you were just talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of raising dad, um, no, the, wait, so then how was that like, uh, you know, how was that experience? Did you know Bob beforehand? Yeah, I met Bob through the world of stand up. I mean, also, he hosted a morning show in New York, uh, right, for one of the networks, and there was a guest on that show. Um, but what's, what's extraordinary about his com comedy, and I know he's now the late Bob Saget, mm -hmm. was his the speed of his wit, yeah. For every matter if it was funny or not, it was just a speed. Mm -hmm. In fact, better off not funny. <laughs> <laughs> did you have a plan as far as stand up goes, other than just, you know? So, you know what's weird? I did the, the whole cabaret scene in New York. Oh, okay. Because I, I started out as a musical act. I had a trio, and then I was a front man for a band called Cats and Jammers. Huh. And we were just talking about Cassie. Yeah. And he, honestly, I was just bringing that up with somebody that you also know. If you really, if you want to waste everybody's time, you could look for Robin Williams singing a song I wrote. Oh my God. I, I'm a huge Robin Williams fan. I'm working Mindy. Boom. There's his little pin right there from Toys. Yeah, I would love We could play that. We could bring that up. Yeah, the, song is, the song is called This Heart is Closed for Alterations. I don't know. I don't know what episode it is, but. Okay. We'll try to, Tom will try to find it. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll try and knock it out. Did you have um, any when you when you started out? Did you have your identity kind of set on stage, or did you grow into it? Well, I definitely grew into it. I mean, i I had so little energy on stage. <laughs> um, my I remember my first joke was um, I've been called the White Paul Simon, <laughs> and that's because <laughs> yeah. That's because I was sing I would sing in my act, and I thought I was the only guy that sounded whiter than Paul Simon. <laughs> both like him. I've seen your stand up, and I've seen like probably the later stuff. I didn't know that you did musical stuff beforehand. Do you? When did you leave that persona behind and and find the one that you'd stick stuck with? Tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to be your aha moment. Yeah, oh, I hate that expression. <laughs> you know what's crazy? I've never said that expression before ever. I just said it just now. 
I've never, it's not something I use. Hilarious. No, I hate, I hate when somebody, you know, I'm working with a publicist now. Okay. And Jonathan, we need to find the aha moment. Oh, no. I mean, I was talking to somebody uh, about being ghosted. Oh, yeah. You know what that expression means? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the guy who I was talking to earlier tonight had never heard that expression before. He wasn't sure he understood what it meant, but he used it five times during our conversation. That kind of stuff does kind of creep in. And it's funny too, because like I'll like I'll hear like my rel like my older relatives say that kind of stuff. And whether or not they use it incorrectly anymore, within their group, it's correct because they only talk to each other. So right that I, I have to now adapt to whatever it means to them because they're overpowering. I'm like, uh, I'm the only one here who knows what it really means. Now, where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Brooklyn, uh, Borough Park, 40th right. Street. And then I primarily uh, was raised in New Jersey from like middle school up. What part of New Jersey? Uh, Tom's River, New Jersey. Oh, Jesus. That was the call I didn't accept tonight. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. You know, I'm saying, I'm saying to myself, I don't know anyone in Tom's River. <laughs> it was you. I called it. You didn't leave a voicemail. This is the most. <laughs> this is the most real conversation I probably had on this whole. I love it. This is yeah. fantastic. But she's come back, by the way. John, listen. There, now there is a girl behind you. <laughs> I swear he. Tom knows how freaked out I am about shit like that. I'm like, I love horror movies, but I genuinely am like, like constantly like weirded out by shit like that. Like my friend, I'm, I'm a big, uh, I'll take that. There are no children behind you. I appreciate that. She's grown up now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Have you ever seen Do you watch horror movies? I actually don't like horror movies. I like, I like, uh, in the morning, I like to wake up to violence. <laughs> Not real violence, but I, I like to watch a violent movie just to get my blood pumping. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Like a, like a. Are you talking about like Dahmer or like? Uh... No, no, I'm talking about like a, a Denzel Washington movie. Oh, like an action movie. Yeah, what's what's the uh, franchise that he had? Yeah, he has his, his head is shaved. Yeah. That's how I find them. We look up <laughs> Equalizer, the Equalizer. All oh, right. That's a good, those are good flicks, though. Yeah. But they're so, the violence is so violent. Oh, and yeah. He times himself. He gives himself 15 seconds to kill everybody. Yeah. I've never he, seen that. Well, he's on a, you know, he's on a real tight schedule, man. He's got a, you know, He's also uh, reading the book of Eli and he's, you know, Patton Will Smith on the back for slapping Chris Rock. The, the man's busy. Yeah. This guy has no job security anymore. <laughs> None. <laughs> I'll tell you more about uh, because I did uh, for a while, my weirdest credit in comedy was being Robin Williams' musical director. Oh my God. Really? Two with him and three other guys who were, had a band called Rick and Ruby and they were wonderful. Wow. Um, but I was touring with Robin right, right at the height of his popularity. So every night we would go out and he would he would be bombarded by these young women. And I once sold a, a vial with, with an ounce of his urine in it, $500. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of money in those days. 
Yeah. But that that was fun. I, I spent a year on the road with him for his first album, Reality, What a Concept. I that wow. I mean you can't see it now, but that album is hanging up on my wall back there. It's a great album. How did you guys did you guys wind up meeting at the comedy store or in well, San Francisco? Because he his first wife was an old girlfriend of mine. And then you guys just became buddies on the on the road? Yeah. You know, we we would when he was in Boston, we would get together and hang out and I worked he I opened for him at the comedy um the San Francisco Comedy Festival. Oh nice. It was an annual event in San Francisco. Mm. Um, but making him laugh was wonderful. What made you move back to Massachusetts, like, like career-wise? Like, so oh, you were doing. It had nothing to do with my career. It had to do with our, our daughter, first daughter Julia, was two and a half years old, mm. and since Manhattan didn't seem like a good place to bring up a kid. Oh, uh, okay. We were living on Seventy Second between First and York. Okay. And the um, the manager of the building. Came by one day with a with a paper bag with thirty two thousand dollars in it. Holy shit! And this is to encourage me to move because they, they must have sold that apartment for at least two million dollars. Wow! Wow! That's crazy. Yeah. Were you locked in there, rent controlled? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was my dad's apartment before ours. Oh my god. Wow. He's still there. Oh, <laughs> he's now rent stabilized. Um, six, what, feet, six feet under. <laughs> so you didn't have any like there wasn't anything back then like stigma about leaving the business, doing comedy, moving to you know Massachusetts. Like well, I would... Massachusetts, but the day before I moved, I did I did the David Letterman show. Oh, nice. Was it a little less? painful because it just needs to live near an airport hmm. to to work as a stand-up. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and one of the things I've worked working as a as a as an opening act was that I, I was I would promise the club owner that I would do a half hour. Mm -hmm. And after every performance and I couldn't do I didn't have a half hour. But I woke, but I woke, but I woke up to the owner afterwards, and I said, "Geez, exactly a half hour." I just lied to him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's that's that's the cool thing, though, is when you when you realize that they're not really why. I remember a club owner uh, telling me, "Like, hey, listen, there's a table full of bankers." Uh, they paid a lot. Like, we had a full audience, but there was one table full of bankers, and they were like no fucks don't say any not one don't say one fuck and i never use that in my punchline like they're not it's not in my jokes but it is how i speak just naturally i sometimes a bit like you know right. in between stuff so i just did what i normally do and and she i got off stage and she was like see it's not that hard not to cur and i was like i said it like nine times like <laughs> it's like no one's listening <laughs> no one yeah. gives a shit right that's true yeah it is kind of it is it's like a it's a good feeling, but it's also like a like a weird feeling to have because you're like, wow, I'm never gonna move up because no one's watching. But at the same time, I could do whatever I want because no one's watching. Well, I would have to say Ray Romano. 
I'm, I'm, I'm answering questions if you haven't asked it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got, can I wait? Can I think of what the who was the funniest yeah. person you worked with? The what? Funniest person you worked with was the answer Ray Romano. No, but that that happens to be he's way up there. But the question you were going to ask was of all my patients. Ah, uh, I like that. I, and I, I guess my patient, my best patients were Dom and Ray. And when I started the show, Dr. Katz, professional therapist, um, I took my role too seriously. He actually made one patient cry, a woman. Who? And, it, and it made another guy feel good about himself. <laughs> that's, that's in the 81 episodes we did. That's, that's it. Because one of the one of the it was a very large uh, many many people were attached to the show production companies and there was a guy from HBO downtown who said Jonathan you know Dr. Katz can be funny too and that changed the show for me oh I, was, I was just trying my I thought my job was to go uh-huh no when I saw they don't really get the shit I used to watch that show all the time, and like all my favorite comics were on there. I think you had uh, all the guys that were like coming up around that time too. You had John Stewart on before he did the Daily Show, right? Like, yeah. Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright, Dave Attell. Right. Um, God, and Ray Romano, obviously. Dave Attell is a serious genius. Oh God, yeah. yeah. He's the, so brilliant. He's the best, yeah. and and like. And we all, I mean, I know it's not effortless, but when he, when you watch him, you're like, uh, it looks like it's so, even as a comic, you're just like, it looks like it's so easy to him. Yeah. It is. It's really kind of amazing. He's really disgusting on one hand. <laughs> and, and so clever on the other hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He, he has the ability to make people like laugh at shit they absolutely would not agree with on any other occasion. Well, that's a good way to describe him. John, that is your aha moment. <laughs> Wrap up the show. That's it. We're getting out now. Going out on top. Well, um, David Hill was a great patient on the show. Um, uh, he was on. I was driving, was driving my daughter to middle school when when the show was airing, and we listened mm. to the rough draft of the audio in the car with her friend, and they always David Hill was always the favorite. Oh wow! Yeah, he, that that episode in particular was hilarious. Would you would you curate their material? Like, how would you set that kind of thing up? I was always curious. Like, would you run through material with them and go, "Okay, this is what we should work with and say," and I'll lead you into this, or would they just come with stuff prepared and and you would just go well, with it? The show got better when when my co-producer Tom Snyder, the co-creator co of the show, when we decided that. Um, what I really want is their material. Mm. So, you know, we, the show was made in, in uh, Watertown, Massachusetts. And uh, my partner was in the um, educational software business. So okay. about a, there were about 150 people working for him in that building, so his company. Wow. The animation was sort of an accidental discovery. Mm. He'd have, he'd have, uh, maybe three or forty people come down, to and they would be able to hear the comedian, um, 
the comedian would not be able to hear the laughter. Oh, no, wait, that's not happening. They would hear the comedian. The comedian would hear the laughter, which made it easier for the comedian. And um, the laughter would not bleed onto the tape. Um, no. That's 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 amazing, though, because they, they were genuine performances, it seemed like. Yeah. And those are the ones that really succeeded when when people would do would in their in in the moment doing their act. Mm -hmm. Also, the scenes with me and my son Ben, voiced by John Benjamin. Yeah, oh, love John Benjamin. So good. He's the best. Yeah. Was there anybody? I can't imagine there was anybody you couldn't get because you kind of knew everybody. But was there some like was there a white whale for you that you were like, "Man, we tried and we couldn't get him on." And on this, I don't understand the expression of white whale. <laughs> I'm not giving you a heck of my honestly. I've never heard that. I thought it was white buffalo. No, white. First of all, hold on, Tom. White buffalo is from uh, um, the movie with John Cusack and um, Craig Robinson or whatever. That's have time machine. Have time about. machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was just a knockoff. So white whale is, um, you know, from Moby Dick. It's the uncatchable thing. So your white whale is like, who did you really seek to get on the show and could never catch? Oh. Now I'm going to test your memory. Who else are we talking about in, during this conversation where Moby Dick would apply to whom the next time? We haven't you're... talked about many things. We've talked about um, the movie with Denzel Washington. Yeah. 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 And what's, um, the book that he's, what's the book that he's reading in that movie? Oh, uh, something religious, right? I don't know. No, it's Moby Dick. Is it really? Wow. He walks into that coffee shop, and the girl is there, and she would have, has he caught the fish yet? You know, the girl was <sighs> a hooker that got beat up every night. That's right. I you That's insane. No, I don't know why. I, I Yeah, maybe I subconsciously made that connection. I forgot. I haven't seen The Equalizer in years, but that's a that's a good point. Holy mother. Man, you're really good at this. I don't I don't know if I trust talking to you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Almost all of a sudden you said that to me. Um, <laughs> oh so god. It's just what does the studio do when it's not being the studio, the room that you're in? The room that I'm in? Yeah. This is just my office. So behind me is a drawing computer that I use to make when I illustrate like somebody's for a book or my own cartoons. I had a book of cartoons out for a while. I usually draw right over there on that. And the Mac that's over there is literally just so this giant thing can run. Um, and, and then it's like New Yorker cartoons. Or it's just... Yep. So there's um there's some there's some sign. I have a Simpsons Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, I've got a couple other magazines. I just decided to put stuff. This is pandemic shit, by the way. Like the walls were bare before the pandemic hit, and I was like, I got a bunch of comedy stuff that I've never hung up. So I hung up all my albums that I collected when I was on the road. Uh, the Conan poster behind me, and then um, you can't see it over here, but there's another desk that I just use for like regular writing stuff and the old paper and pencil. Old school. And I'm sorry, I've forgotten your name. I apologize. Oh, Tom. You, oh, Tom. And where where are you now? Are you I am. Yeah, no, we, I'm in Staten Island, actually, New York, oh. as well. Are you trying to set me up for my favorite joke of all time? <laughs> no, but I can't wait to hear it. Do you know how Staten Island got its name? How's that? 
Well, Columbus and his men were sailing, uh, looking for America, and somebody spotted land. And, the, and he said, Staten Island? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've never uh, heard that before. Perfect. I love it. Okay, yeah. That's fantastic. Um, what did you say? No, actually, in clubs, people would say, uh, when people would boo at a joke, the comedian on stage might say, you'll be telling that at work tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's the truth. Yeah. What, um, uh, by the way, Carol Montgomery said to say hello and she loves oh. you. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. She wanted me to make sure you knew. Look, tell her uh, right back at her. I absolutely will. Um, and then back, more back to me. More about yes, of course. <laughs> we actually have a couple of questions too. I kind of wanted to feel. Yeah, go for it. So the more was asking is Cats and Jammers on Spotify. No. Concise. No. Unless you're listening to Spotify in my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, for years I've been threatening to release an album called Easy Listening, but not that easy. And, you know, because I've written written about forty songs, and some of them are really good, and most most of them would fall into the category of mediocre. <laughs> but, um, Was it? Uh, did you did you always like? Did you have more of an inclination to do songwriting than you did to do stand up? Did you want one more than the other? Oh, what, what, you know, when I was growing up, every kid wanted to be a rock star, and mm -hmm. when I was in college. Every guy would try to impress women by his version of Blackbird. Blackbird singing them. Yeah. And they all would get stuck with the same chord. <laughs> it's a very hard song to play. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I wanted to be, be a musician first and a songwriter and a comedian after that. Mm. Which leads us back. I think I fixed our problems, too, because we have another question about uh, the Robin Williams one. So let's try it one more time. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Privileged to be here once again. Thank you all. Thank you all. This heart is closed for alterations. And the management extends apologies. I'm sorry if I've inconvenienced you. I'll make it right before I'm through Before a little while Just bear with me This heart is closed For alteration So please excuse the rubble And debris You see I've reached A few decisions And I've made a few I think we'll make a new man out of me. Geese bum, but I do them. Grisbat, keep it up, she was burning in them. Nimble, but she be them. Raspy day fish me, but as bad even bum, but in the door. I see that I've been taken out on you. The changes that she put me through. You're gonna see some changes made in me. This heart 
is closed. This heart is closed. For alterations. This heart is closed. This heart is closed. For alterations. That was great. Give it up. The, the other guys, the other guys in the band, uh, they were two thirds of an act called Rick and Ruby. The uh, that would open for Robin when we toured together, and you could hear uh, Robin singing two of my songs on on my podcast, which is called "Hey, We're Back." Oh well, wow. don't pretend so you don't hear that. <laughs> John's got his mic muted. Oh, I'm sorry. Mike is muted. Sorry, I was gonna say I do. Lo I love your. I love that podcast. <laughs> I'm like not. I I didn't realize that I was muting my mic so I wouldn't accidentally like sneeze over the song we finally got up, and then I was like, yeah. No, I thought you were being dismissive. No, <laughs> no, I would never. I love you. I would never be dismissive. Yeah. No, that was great. Um, no, I do. I love that podcast. That podcast is. I was excited when you actually came back with the podcast. You did it twice, right? Yes, I, I would take a break to make some money occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, my podcast has never earned money. Oh God! Yeah. Not only that, I pay a producer, an editor, a, a publicist, and an illustrator. I have four people on my payroll to make oh my God. a podcast. I, you gotta, I gotta tell you, man, I, I, I got, it's all me. This is why these episodes are coming out like a little later than they used to. Cause I'm, I'm still the only one editing them and posting about it and trying to get it out there. And I should add, I should hire people. I should first make money and then I should hire people. <laughs> oh, the money will come. Um, <laughs> what, what software do you use to edit the podcast? I use um, um, my Apple iPad, and I use a program called Video Leap. Video Leap? Video Leap. L-E-A-P. Yeah, by Light Tricks. They're actually really good. I've heard of that. It's, it's very, like, so, I mean, I know there's the other ones that you can use on your computer or whatever that cost real money. Adobe um, Premiere. Adobe Premiere and all this stuff. But Video Leap is really, really great and really intuitive. So like if by chance, like when I edit the episodes, I just kind of file a template away. So at the very least, when I'm cutting stuff up, that's already set in place and I don't have to do anything like in between. But when I post clips on like Instagram or, or TikTok or whatever the hell else I post on, it has templates that are pre-made for that. So all I have to do is kind of insert stuff and it lets you do um, different transitions. And it's honestly, I know it sounds kind of cliche but it's literally at the touch of a finger so there's no like you know uh there's no learning curve to it it's actually really great yeah i have a friend who only edits on an ipad now mm. he recommended something else but oh uh i can't remember what the name of it was was it InShot? no okay but it was okay. just it was just audio oh it's just it, audio yeah. oh he might be talking about the one that i use john the uh Garage band? Descript. Oh, Descript? No, but I know what Descript is, but that's not it. Yeah, Descript's not on an iPad. Yeah. Oh, I, I had it with Reaper. Oh, I've with heard Reaper. of that. I've never used it, though. Is it good? You know, it's so complicated. Yeah. You know, that's what appeals to me, but about the ones you were describing. 
Try, try video leap and if you have any actual problems with it or if you need any help you got my number now that you ignored uh you can just give, give me a ring back so you're not the guy in tom's river yeah i am <laughs> yeah that's where the number comes from yeah <laughs> well i also didn't want to leave a voicemail because i didn't really know if it was you so i was like what if i'm like hey man you're gonna do my show and it's some weirdo on the other end of the line that's like right. yeah i'd like to do your show <laughs> who knows yeah. Um, I have a uh, yeah. another. Go ahead. Oh, you know, you know, it's not going to happen so much because of the world of Zoom. Is it's making it very challenging for a guy to make an obscene phone call. <laughs> <laughs> what what woman in her right mind is going to click on the link? Yeah, that's a real at, good point. At a specific time. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have to go that you know what it's going to make the obscene phone call guys work a little bit harder cuz they have to like pretend that they're normal, go through the whole facade, set up a Zoom link and then, you know, yeah, drop yeah. trow at like 4:30. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I heard they started with the phone call like, "Hey, we have a charge on Amazon that you that you let through." I'm yeah. like, "No, no, I didn't. I'll press 1." <laughs> Um, you didn't do it. So I got a, I got a few. I got more questions about Doctor Katz yeah. though, because yeah. I know you actually are a doctor. So did you ever have anybody? So here's the weird part. I'm not a doctor. You're not really a doctor. I thought you did have a, a degree, <laughs> a PhD. No, I have, I have a bachelor's degree from Goddard College, and I have an honorary doctor doctorate. The honorary, okay. But I've never been a doctor. Wow, that's friggin' fascinating. Because I was. Even though Erica Rhodes' mother was convinced I was a psychiatrist, uh, I love that because I I know Erica; she's amazing, and uh, her mother is hilarious when they do their little videos and stuff like that together. So that I truly believe that her mother thought you were a psychiatrist. Yeah, well, you must have picked up something over the years. Well, if you live in Newton, Massachusetts, where I live, if somebody screams "help" mm -hmm. in the middle of the night, people go out there with their antidepressants and start shaking. <laughs> <laughs> it has the highest uh, per capita number of therapists of any city in the country. Wow. Why is that? I don't know. Uh, I'm the only fictitious one. <laughs> well, you fooled me as a kid because I was like, this guy's great. He's getting them to tell jokes, they're opening up. Um, yeah. Yeah. I do you think after talking to comedians though for so many years, like did you do you go to therapy? Are you do you are you uh oh, yeah. I you do. a real therapist and she I can't stop telling jokes when I go there. That's a problem. Oh yeah. And I and I said to her the last time I saw that I know this is not the way it's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be some crying involved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it is terrible when you pay for a therapist and you go but you're also like, man, I got a new five, and uh, yeah. <laughs> I need, I need an impartial third party. Uh, <laughs> so let me go run through this shit. I've had therapists though, where like, uh, I had to leave because I could tell that they were just interested in talking to, like a con like nothing was getting done, and I was like, oh, this is their like forty five minute playtime. Uh, one, one time I was talking to one, and he was literally, I had to be over the phone, and he was literally. It's not me, I swear. You can answer it. 
Um, uh, <laughs> but he was like literally like shuffling pay, and I was like, "Are you, are you moving like furniture?" He was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just doing some work around the house." I'm like, "While wow, you're listening to me, like, what the fuck is going on?" No, no, it was it, that was that ended rather quickly. I once saw a therapist in, in Cambridge, um, Massachusetts, and I drove her on my bike. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he said to me is, you have to be crazy to drive here without a helmet, which is not a great opening line for a therapist. <laughs> and then I told him, um, I said, uh, Dr. Whitney, I had dinner with my with my dad last night, and I made a classic Freudian slip. I meant to say, can you pass me the salt, please? But it comes out, you prick, you, you ruined my childhood. <laughs> and he said, the therapist said, would you like me to laugh at that? Oh, wow. And I said, Not if you can help it. <laughs> That's how I feel about comedy. Yeah. It's a good, I mean, what, what, did you ever accidentally get somebody to open up to you? Like when you were doing this kind of stuff, like where you were like, I like, did you ever hear something from a comic that you weren't too familiar with? And you were like, holy shit, was that real? Or was that the, was that the, like, it, it was too, it was too close to home. Uh, no, I mean, there was, there was this woman once who was opening up to me about her, a real disorder of hers. I mean, wow. uh, you know, as long as she knew I wasn't a therapist, which she, she knew me as a comedian. Yeah. Um, and, you, you know, if, if, I th- thought, if I thought it was seek a comedian who was at, at, at the risk of doing harm to themselves. Right. Yeah. You know, right. No, that makes sense. Did you, when you were a kid, did you have other than being a musician and a comic? Were like, were your interests always in entertainment? Do you have anybody in your family that was part of show business? No. no. Um, I had friends when I was a kid. Uh, Josh Mustel was a good friend of mine, and he's the son of Zero Mustel, so I was exposed to show business from the wings a little bit. Nice. Um, um, I did go to music camp when I was a kid. It was a violinist. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. We just had two violin. Well, we had a fiddler and a violinist on the show recently. Um, um, one from the blimp band, uh, the clientele and, uh, another from a band I like that's an Irish band called Gaelic storm. And, uh, I love violin. I love string music. It's, I think it's very soothing. Yeah. I, I play the lap seal guitar now because um, because I've been living with MS for thirty, almost twenty-five years. Wow, dude! Um, really... My left hand is not strong enough to to finger the chords. Oh man! So I do that with a slide. So I've gone from playing fairly sophisticated jazz to, uh, if I'm lucky, really good country music. Wow! Wow! But that's a that's a huge thing. I mean, at least you were able to transition into, do you feel better being able to transition to another piece of music as opposed to not being able to play at all? Oh yeah. Good. But I feel like I've been demoted. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because... Were you guys talking about Mel Torme recently? He did mention Mel Torme. Yeah. When I was, uh, when I said the Mel Brooks thing. Yeah. Well, in what context it was just trying to think of Mel's just uh, Mel's. Yeah. He pointed at an album and he said, that's Mel. I said Torme. Oh, yeah. 
Meltor May is good too. I got nothing against him. But by the way, Tom and I do a MS benefit every year in March. No, we. No, my my wife is actually in the middle of an inflammation right now. That we're yeah, that we're doing treatment. That she's going for the steroid treatments. But yeah. Put her on the phone. You said I'll grab her. I don't know if she'll get on. What was she diagnosed to? Uh, six years ago. We it's actually our six year anniversary yesterday. Mouse I believe infection. yesterday, the day before. Yeah, thanks. Um, but is she on? You don't have to tell me what kind of medication, but is she on medication? No, abs- absolutely. I'm we're pretty open about everything. Babe, you want to jump on real fast? The gentleman that we have on with us, <laughs> Jonathan Katz, is actually she's also like, an MS warrior. We were just uh, she said high five. And we would just we're just switching medication. We're on Copaxin for this first six years. Oh, and now that's I think what, that's what I'm checking out, and I have no idea if it does anything good or bad. Um, it, I we found overall it's the least aggressive for sure, but it it's also doesn't have the highest efficacy. So they wanted to move her to something a little bit stronger because she had something active. So I think we're moving to Ocrevus, which is a very aggressive one, but it's like a once a month. A once every six month infusion, as opposed to every other day shot that we do. Now, does your wife enjoy recreational drugs? You know what's funny? We were just discussing that because we're she's she doesn't try marijuana, but she's been reading that a lot of people find a lot of relief with. I'm going in a different direction. Uh, oh, <laughs> this is this is one of the things about Ocrevus. is that before you, they will give you the infusion the first time. Uh huh. They have to make sure you won't have an allergic reaction. Yep. And they give you an infusion of Benadryl. Uh. Mm-hmm. And I have never been so high. Really? <laughs> I love that. I I couldn't speak. My wife was with me. I, I couldn't form words. But I felt <laughs> so good. So she, but I'm not sure that would appeal to her. It doesn't sound like. I don't know if she will. He was just saying that uh, Benadryl. Sorry, because she's right off camera, but she doesn't want to be on it. But he's saying that uh, his Benadryl infusion pre-Ocrevus was a euphoric high. It was one of his favorite if you have to take an infusion. Yep. Yep, that's it. It's coming up. Not to try and make any sense while she's on it. So don't try to make any sense while you're on it um, with Benadryl. That it was just a Floating feeling. <laughs> she said, "Sounds good." She's gonna pop a Xanax as well. <laughs> yeah, Benadryl's no joke. I used to like, uh, I when I couldn't, when I had trouble sleeping at night, I would take Benadryl. But man, it made you, it made it so much more difficult to wake up the next day. Like, like it felt like somebody was just holding your face down in bed. Yeah, like Tylenol PM is the most powerful drug in the world. Oh God, yeah, it doesn't get you high. It just you sleep oh my god yeah it's it's but have you ever have you ever beaten it where like you you kind of force your not force yourself i guess but like for some reason you just wind up staying awake on either nyquil or tylenol pm you get into like it's you start getting like delirious like you can't even tell if you're asleep or not anymore uh, that's the yeah. worst feeling i'm a little bit interested um <laughs> no I, I take um i take ambien every night oh do you really yeah um, which is, I know you're not supposed to take it every night, right. year after year. I know it's a, a bad habit. Yeah, 
Mm. But it's not the worst bad habit I have. <laughs> well, if you do take Ambien, at some point you will wind up losing your sitcom to Sarah Gilbert. So that's a definite, that's a rocky road you don't want to take. I don't get the connection. Did Sarah Gilbert have a bet? I'm ter- I don't know what's wrong with me. No, because you know Roseanne uh, tweeted that stuff and tried to say she was on Ambien. Like she oh, didn't mean oh, it. I see what you mean. Yeah. And then she lost her sitcom and Sarah well, Gilbert. I think you're talking about Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a different Gilbert? <laughs> but it's but that's a good connection. It's a good it's it's fair. Yeah. It's more reasonable than Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who we also love. Indeed. Um that's I, I'm still in awe of the man that you got to tour around with Robin Williams during the heyday. That must have been exciting. Is yeah. was that but would you consider like like did you have like a crew? You know what I mean? Because I feel like like in my mind, like back then, I don't even know if it was around the same time. But I know that like I just did an interview with Paul Reiser, but I know him and Seinfeld and Larry Miller and um Bill Maher. Bill Maher, like those guys hung out, right? Like that was a yeah. click basically back then. But was it all like that? Or or did you have like a my click was Don Marrera, mm-hmm. his wife at the time, Lisa Mendy. Oh, okay. Who had a great act with uh, called Mendy and King. She mm-hmm. did improv with Michael Patrick King. Yeah. Oh, um, Michael Patrick. Great. And John Heyman, Alan Havy. Oh, Alan Havy we had on too. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Love Alan Havy. And you said Mike Rowe never mentioned you. We had him on too. Yeah, I used to like him. <laughs> <laughs> I will let him know. Well, he was—he's great. I can't believe he didn't mention you. That's crazy. He grew, up, he grew up in the town of Waterbury, Connecticut. I do believe. Yeah, yeah. And he had a stand-up show there about once a month, and they did it with a guy named George Kalfa, who I don't even know if he does stand-up anymore. Mm. But the the audience was not aware that there was a show going on. It was that kind of crowd. Okay. And George Kaufel would open the show. And he once he realized that no one was listening, he just put on headphones and listened to the game. <laughs> oh, my God. I see that. I, you can't do that stuff anymore, but that's hilarious. Yeah. The clubs don't allow you to play anymore, which is a shame. Because, all I mean, all the stories I grew up on when I was a kid that made me want to be a stand-up is stuff that you guys kind of just did and talked about, like, fooling around at the comedy store when nothing really met. You know, when it was all new? Or like the right. comic strip, or the or the improv, or whatever. Yeah. Did you do you miss doing it? I do. You know, and, and the last time I was on stage was a club in Cambridge called the Comedy Studio. Actually, yeah, Comedy Studio. I love that place. Yeah, Absolutely. It's, it's back in Cambridge now. It was for a time being, it would have been uh, in Somerville. Yeah. Um, I did. I did it in Somerville, and I did it in Cambridge. Yeah, it's a great club. It's a very supportive owner and audience. Rick, Rick Jenkins. Jenkins. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great room. I was supposed to be there before the pandemic hit, and then I never rescheduled. Yeah. It's a great room, though. Did you get sick at all during the pandemic? I, I didn't get I didn't get COVID until last May. I I, I avoided it for two years, and and then uh, and then it, Omicron got me. Were you? How were you exposed to it? Did you go to a restaurant or? No, I got it at a wedding. You idiot. 
no, no, I know. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's so you're so right to say that. Yeah. yeah. Wedding slash super spreader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was such a it was such a useless thing to do though too because like, I mean one it's a wedding nobody wants to go to a wedding but two yeah. it was that it was that thing where they were like everyone's getting tested we're all being safe everyone's getting and I was just like you know all it takes is one idiot right like and I right. knew it and that was it there was one idiot and and then uh, got us all and uh, I was pissed yeah hey did you have a good time with Wendy Leapin? I had a blast. I love Wendy. Yeah. She was so much fun. She, I've known Wendy for a really long time. She's fantastic. Did you know her from uh, the club scene in New York? Um, no. From um, when I moved out to LA, she invited me out to her show, Homegrown Comics. Oh, yeah. And uh, and you know, and I, I, we talked a little bit online before that, and then I moved out to LA, and she invited me out, and. Um, it was just a blast, and she's just this you know, she's one of the nicest people ever. It's great. Um, why did you move to LA? I had a dream. Um, and I, I, uh, <laughs> I moved to, I moved to LA. Uh, I'd been doing stand up, I think, like 10 years at that point, and um, I don't know, I just wanted it. I had a bunch of me, I had a bunch of network meetings out there, and because I'm stupid. I was like excited to go do those meetings. And I was like, you know what? I need to change. I don't want to live in Jersey anymore. And uh, um, there's a lot of other stuff kind of going on. And I was like, I'm just going to move. I'm going to move to LA. I've got those meetings out there. I got a lot of stuff to do. I've, I'm doing the ice house and a couple other places. I'll just stay there. So I packed up a bunch of stuff, left a ton of shit behind and drove cross country and moved out there and got really oh. depressed. How long did you stay out there? Two years. That's too long. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Well, no one told me that, like, you know, once all the meetings were done and uh, and all the comedy was done, not the comedy, you know what I mean? But, like, there's no road work. And then there was nothing else to do. And uh, so you're just kind of – I didn't know anybody. I moved out there without knowing anybody out there. So it was it was very it was very lonely for a bit, for, for a Ooh. while. Um, yeah, I gotta sort of uh, put a time frame on this thing because my wife and I are traveling early tomorrow morning to to Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. We need to do some packing. How um, uh, you know? I open up to you, and you <laughs> tell me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you know, you get me to just no. I'm just, I'm just no. Um, that's actually we did hit an hour mark, but I do have three questions that I ask every guest on the show. Can I run those by you? Please, absolutely. Okay, first question is kind of a softball one, but if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, what piece of advice would you give yourself that would help you today? Don't be humiliated by pimples. Oh, solid. Like a kid, yeah, everybody gets them. We all get pimples. Yeah. I had bad acne when I was a kid. I read about that. <laughs> the trade. This is my favorite interview ever, <laughs> ever. Uh, I love this. Um, se second question is, what had to end in your life, good or bad, that led you to where you are today? What What had to end? Yeah, what had to end? Well, 
it's kind of a maudlin answer, but I guess the death of my mother. Oh, wow. She died when I was 16. Wow. And the guy who drove me to, to the burial of my mother, we got to the... Um, We got to her, to the place where she was being buried, and he said to me, "You know, kid, people are dying to get into this place." <laughs> and, I, and I said, "If you can't do any better than that, I'm going to have to, I have to get into the comedy business." <laughs> no, that, that was a bad. That was a bad. I was working too hard. <laughs> well, let's, let's see the third question. <laughs> I love this. Uh, the third question is: um, uh, if, if if this was a genuine dystopia, the show is called Dystopia Tonight. It could be a government collapse, or aliens, or zombies, or a comet heading toward Earth. But you wake up, and you know it's everybody's last day on Earth. What would be your epic death? How would you want to go out? And what would be happening? Oh, did you hear my wife? What did you say? Then I drill. That's just how good it is. But you have to tell your wife that this is not, this is just to make sure that she doesn't have an allergic reaction to the Ocrevus. Yeah. Right. Um, Absolutely. I definitely will. And I'm going to hold you to it. If, if you could come back when we do our fundraiser, we would love to have you with us. Yeah, we usually have a bunch of warriors on. Do you do it online? We do it yep. here. We do it 24 hours straight. Oh, really? Yep. And yeah. last year we had um Art Electricus from yep. Everclear who's who's been battling it for years. We have a lot of people, you know, just very inspirational stories, people that yep. are in the industry and even out. Shelly Fabre do... was on with Mike Farrell cuz Shelly knew people who had MS. Uh you everybody know, needs If you can get Annette Funicello on this one. <laughs> that was <laughs> who she knew. That's who she knew. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> I can't. I love this. Is killing me. You know, I have the same birthday as um, Richard Pryor, December first. Really? Really? Yep. The wow. Same, the same disease as Richard Pryor. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's also the same birthday as Woody Allen. Wow. Sarah Silverman, Larry Charles, and yes, Ed Hochstein. <laughs> Who's that Oxteen? The guy who couldn't make it in comedy. <laughs> he became a financial planner. Guy, thank you both so much for your hospitality. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Major, for sure. Okay, hey, take care. We yep. Hope you had a fun, man. Thanks. <laughs> Dystopia tonight.